<laughs> trendy, handsome fella. Um, but I just want to tell a quick story before Tyler comes up because it's kind of in, indicative of who he is. <laughs> so uh, it's very interesting about, man, it's been 14, 15 years ago almost. Um, I was a youth pastor where Tyler is an elder now at, the, at that church in Atlanta. And uh, there's a young lady there named Nicole uh, Haswell. That's Greg's daughter. And uh, <laughs> I was praying with her. We've been having some incredible encounters in our youth night, and I was praying with her one night. And as I was praying for her, she was thinking and praying about what it looks like to go into ministry because she's seen her mom and dad do that. And, you know, that's a big thing. It's like as you feel that call in, but you've seen your mom and dad hurt, all those kind of things. So I'm praying with her. And as I'm praying for her, I see this vision. I mean, like, like literally right in front of me. It's amazing. And I see her playing the piano. And off to one side where I can't see is her husband who's preaching and doing ministry. And so, you know, I just... Can't wait to share that with a 14-year-old girl. So I share it with her dad later, too. It was important. So I shared that with her, and she just started crying. Because for her, it was just confirmation. You know, I was like, Lord, do I really want My dad's a pastor. I've seen some of the challenges. I've also seen the glory of it and the good. Do I really want, is that something you're calling me into? And if so, how will I know? And so I just shared this vision. She just starts crying and impacted her tremendously. And then it wasn't too long after that, she met this shiny-eyed young man from North Carolina. <laughs> And then uh, started this whole journey, and uh, actually God gave um, Nicole's dad a vision or a, a word that he, she was going to marry early. That way he didn't kill Tyler when Tyler showed up, which, <laughs> if you know the story. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, so here's the point of the story. God is so amazing in how he connects and how he, how he relates us to one another and how beautiful, beautifully planned his work is if we lean in and align ourselves with it. So often people say things about God because they don't understand who he is and how good he is and the kindness of the Lord. And so um, Tyler and Nicole came down the first time to preach. Um, this is six or seven years ago now. It's quite a, quite a while ago. And Nicole played a song. And I'm sitting right there, and Nicole's playing a song, and Tyler's getting ready to preach. And I'm, I look over there, and it's the vision I had when she was 14 years old. And I'm like, um, I can see her, just like I saw in the, vi- in the vision, I see her in the background, and I don't know why I never put it together at DCF, but I didn't, and I'm sitting there seeing that, and I look over at Tyler, and I'm like, wow, God, that is amazing. And so I told them after and just prayed for them, and I'm like, and so they've been off to the races ever since. They serve as elders in their church. Uh, he's a pastor, he's a preacher, teacher, he's, he served all kinds of areas, 10 years of business that he got involved in and did some great things in before he ever became a preacher. And, and one of the things I just love about Tyler is he's authentic, he's real, he's who he is, but he loves Jesus, he loves the kingdom, and he's going to be preaching about that today. So let's give him a hand as he comes up. Tyler, we love you, man. So glad you're here. You good? <laughs> he's an amateur. Yeah, give, him, give him some grace. <laughs> he really isn't. Now we're ready to go. Get set up here. I want to just start by saying, um, obviously Dave has his stories about me. I could share some stories about Dave and make it fair. We do not have time for it, so I will not. I'm just grateful. I know that you know this, but Dave and Karen, the eldership team here, uh, you guys have something incredibly special. And I know that you know that. Um, but I just want you to know, I'm, I'm from uh, North Carolina originally, been a part of churches there my entire life, been part of churches uh, in, in North Cross, and uh, I've seen just a number of churches, worked for five years before becoming a pastor at an organization called Catalyst, uh, which worked with churches and church leadership, and, and I'm telling you, I've seen a ton of churches, and DCF is significant and special. What is happening here is absolutely significant, and that's because you have leaders here who absolutely love you uh, and want to serve you well. I want to make sure my wires here aren't crossed. Feels a little crossed. Um, Here's what I want to do. I want to preach a message today that I'm calling Kingdom Come. Uh, I'm always curious, when when, when the disciples said, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? He said, when you pray, pray like this. Lord, let your kingdom come. Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. 
What do we mean when we ask the question, God, let your kingdom come? I want to explore that and have a clear understanding that we know what we're asking for when that happens. Uh, What we have to understand is this, is that Jesus had two primary objectives when he came to the earth. He came not just to save us from our sins, not just to die on the cross for our sins, not just to save the world. That was one of his primary objectives. But he also came not just to be our sacrifice, but to be our, or to establish rather his kingdom. These are the two primary focuses that Jesus had, to be the sacrifice for the world, but also to establish his kingdom on earth. This was his focal point. I find it fascinating that Jesus spent three days accomplishing that first primary objective. He was put to death, buried, and resurrected, but it took him three years to establish his kingdom in the hearts of 12 men. Jesus' kingdom was different than any other kingdom before that time. All the other kingdoms on earth were established with brick and mortar, fortifying walls around cities like Rome, like Jerusalem. And Jesus goes, no, 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 I'm not here to establish a place. I'm here to establish and build a people. My kingdom is not walls and a city and armor or chariots and horses. My kingdom, it is like a yeast that is in a dough. And it works itself out into the hearts of men. And it's been doing that since the very beginning of time. Jesus goes, I'm not here to establish a kingdom of walls and fortified cities. I'm here to build a culture. I'm here to put a culture in the hearts of 12 men. And he's been doing that from that day to where we are today. The culture has been permeating and the kingdom culture is at work today. And that's what I want to talk about. I want to, I want to preach a message, kingdom come. But I want to talk about the culture of the kingdom. What do we mean by the culture of the kingdom? If I could just spend some time, uh, just for a moment, just to talk about culture at large. How do we define what culture is? Culture is this invisible thing, but here's how I would define culture. Culture is the environment created through people who are all embracing the same values. Culture is developed through people. It's not things, it's not a building, it's not a, a, a company, it's not that cool poster that you see in offices. It's like got an eagle and it says underneath it's synergy. And it's got like, you can do anything if you work together. That's not how culture is made. Culture is created by people who embrace the same values. Think about this. Can you remember the last time that you went to an incredible party? What was the last party that you went to that was amazing? Was it a wedding, an anniversary, a birthday, maybe a baby shower? Where was that party? Was it at the beach? Was it in the mountains? Was it at a lake house? What was happening at that party? Was it incredible food? Was it good music? Were there certain activities? All of those things that come to our memory as we think about a good party, but none of those things actually make the culture, the vibe of the party. That was an awesome party because a culture was represented there, but it was none of those things, even though those are the things that come to our mind. Think about it this way. Let's say at this party that you have, they have a chef there, and he is making the world's best sushi. Some people can get behind that. Dave and Karen took me to sushi with some folks here, and uh, I embarrassed myself because they said it was all you can eat, and I went after it hard. Uh, I'm okay, though. God heals. Um, anyway, so, but, but, but what if you come to that same party, same chef, by far the world's greatest sushi, and you're allergic to seafood? It doesn't matter at all how good the seafood is. It doesn't matter how good the sushi is. It is not a value to you. It's not valuable food for you. Let's say you're at that party, and they only have one genre of music. It's country music. I know I'm in Alabama. Calm down. Here's my struggle with country music is I'm just going, if I'm at a party, I don't want to hear about somebody's dog dying or running away. I don't want to hear about their wife leaving them. I don't want to hear, like, if you play, you know, if you play ACDC backwards, people say you can hear the devil. If you play country backwards, it's just songs about a man getting his life together. You know what I mean? His dog comes back. His wife's with him and never left. Like, so this, this, is, my, this is my problem here. But let's say, let's say you love country music, but what if you just go, I absolutely despise this kind of music. It's great artist. It's by far, people say subjectively, this is good music, but it's not a value to you. See, it doesn't matter what thing you have at the party. You, your memory goes to a specific party, but if I don't value the same things that are represented at that party, it's not a good vibe. If we all hate the music, if we all hate the food, it doesn't matter how good it is. If we don't value it, the culture there is down. And see, culture is everywhere. Your family and household is a culture. Your kid's school, their soccer team, the college that you attend, that's a culture. Anywhere where there's two or three people gathered, that's a culture. And it's when people grab hold of the same values in that culture that it creates a healthy kind of culture. At DCF, there's a certain kind of culture. 
Why? Because there's a certain kind of values that we go by. There's certain values. People who stay here at DCF and become a part of this community, they walk in and they go, these people value the same things that I value. This is my tribe. This is how I fit in. If you're here today and you're going, I like these people because you see the values. Whether you can point to them or not, the values are represented here. There's a vibe here, and we're building a type of culture. The question then is, is where does DCF get its values from? The question that we would have to ask is this, is for us, we're going, we're in a kingdom. It's where the king has dominion. So we're constantly asking the question, what does the king value? In a kingdom, the king has dominion, and it's not about your values or my values. We don't say these are the values we should have. We say these are the values of the king, and so we change our life to embrace these kind of values. We make these values our values. And so here constantly, I'm talking with the elders and the deacons and all the leaders here that are happening, and they're constantly watching and seeing the values of this community. They're going, if there's a value not currently expressed and represented in this culture, we will adopt that value to make it more like the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God. And if there's values that are being expressed that is not a representation of the kingdom, that is not what King Jesus wants, we adjust those values out. We adopt values that are kingdom central, and we adjust values that are not kingdom central. Jesus had a name for this. He called it binding and loosing. He said to his disciples, he goes, hey, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. I'm going to give you that secret sauce. I'm going to teach you how the sausage is made in the south. That's how it would be. He's going, he goes, and I'm going to teach you these, I'm going to give you the keys, and wherever you are, I want you to loose these values. I want you to, I want you to loose them because whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind up on earth will be bound in heaven. If you see some, a place, if it's your kid's soccer team, if it's your kid's school, if it's your house, wherever you are, you release the values of the kingdom of God because we're building the kingdom culture. And wherever you are and you see that there's a value that's not represented in the kingdom or is in, in direct violation of the kingdom, you bind it up. You've been given authority and the keys of the kingdom to do that. Rome had this, the, the, the term apostolic or apostle is actually a Roman term. And literally an apostle for Rome would go, they had the mindset, they go, this is Rome. And if we go out to another city or another nation or another place, wherever we put our foot, this becomes Rome too. And they begin to push the culture and the values of Rome. So when Jesus gets on the scene, he's in an occupied Roman territory. And they're going, you're going to eat like Romans. You're going to dress like Romans. You're going to pay taxes to Rome because this now is also Rome. These were called apostles. They built the culture of Rome. And Jesus goes, I'm building a new culture, and I'm sending out my apostles. And wherever you are, you understand the values of the kingdom, and you release them out no matter where you are, because we're building a kingdom. This is what we do here. Now, why does culture matter? That's our next question. Why, does culture, is, why is culture such a big deal? Because there's many cultures that are represented, not just in our own lives, but in the world today that we're living in. Why does culture matter so much? Because we have to know this truth, that every culture, every culture produces fruit. Every culture, your house produces a kind of fruit, your kid's soccer team, their school, your college, your work office, every culture, no matter what, every culture that you live in produces fruit. But this is why it's so important. Because whatever culture you choose to live in, you have to eat of that fruit. Whatever culture you and I choose to live in, that culture is producing fruit, and it's not an option. If you're going to live in the culture, you eat that fruit. This is not a trick question. Do not raise your hand. Have you ever worked in a hostile work environment? Are you currently working in a hostile work environment? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't. Let's look twice. Does you, I just want to just stop and keep going. Here we go. Think about what makes that environment frustrating and difficult and hard. Jack Welch, he said this about the company that he led. He said, we will fire the lowest 10% of performers on our team and company every single year. They have a matrix for how they, de they determine this is what a performer is, this is a non-performer, and we will fire the lowest 10% every single year. Jack Welch says, here's our value, performance. People go, if you want to be a part of this company, you embrace this value, performance. And so what gets produced? You have top performers and you have non-performers. And I, I've got friends, love them to death back home, think they're amazing people. They are top dog performers. And they are in an environment where they go, we are cutthroat. It's not about synergistic teamwork. It is about uh, Barbara's going to take my raise if I don't cut her. And I'm going to do it. I'm taking the parking space. I'm getting the raise. I'm going to do whatever it takes because I will get the promotion. I will get the raise. I certainly will not be let go. I'm going to be the top dog. And what that produces is a level of burnout and frustration and sleeplessness. And it's exhausting. 
And then you have the low performers. And what are they doing? Constantly coming to work filled with anxiety and fear going, is today the day I'm going to get fired? Both of which have one thing in common. They both, I've watched this. It's so sad. I've watched this. And if it's you, just don't raise your hand. Both, both of it, Sunday morning, they're fine. Sunday at lunch, they're okay. As evening comes around to Sunday, a heavy cloak of depression sits on them. Why? Because they have to go to work in, on Monday. They're getting ready to step into the Am I preaching yet? This is, this is getting touchy. Don't even raise your hand. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. We're just talking. We're just talking. What's the fruit of this culture? If you're going to live in that culture, the fruit that you have to eat is burnout, sleeplessness, frustration, anger, hostility, depression, anxiety, fear, turmoil, if you choose to live in that culture, if you buy into that value system, you have to eat the fruit and live there. Every culture, every culture produces fruit. Selah. It's been a good weekend, guys. I'll see you later. I'll be back. (laughs) Praise God, the Bible's not over. Here we go. The good news is this, that the kingdom of God also produces fruit. And for three years, Jesus said, hey, you want to know what my kingdom's like? He told dead people they couldn't be dead anymore. He told blind eyes and deaf ears to open up. He told, he, he told 20,000 people, don't worry, I got lunch covered for us. It's on my credit card. Don't even worry about this. He, he's constantly going, you want to know what the kingdom of God is like? Let me just show you the fruit of my kingdom. Because Jesus goes, I am the restorer. I am the redeemer. I am the reconciler. I'm the one who makes all things new. Those that are lost will be found. Those who are broken will be made whole. He takes Genesis 1 in the garden, the great shalom that was created when God said, I'm creating something and it is good. And he's taking that back and he's taking the city of Zion at the end of time, and he's bringing it together, and in the brokenness of humanity, he's going, my dominion will be wholeness and human flourishing. This is my kingdom. You want to be a part of my kingdom? This is the fruit that you can expect. This is the God that we serve, and Jesus goes, I'm building my culture and my kingdom, and this is what you can expect now. In order to be a part of my culture, though, you have to buy into my values. You have to live your life with my kingdom values. So here's, I want to talk about a keystone value for the kingdom of God, meaning if you get this one value, if you say, I'm all in, Tyler, I want to see the kingdom of God come, because that's when we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, we're saying, I want that fruit in my life. The kingdom of God is not a place, and the kingdom of God is not something that is coming to you, it is something that is working out through your life. If you want to see the fruit of the kingdom, if you want to be used as a messenger of the kingdom of God, it will require of you to embrace the values of the kingdom. In order to have salvation and for Jesus to be your sacrifice, it is by faith alone and confession that Jesus is Lord and Savior. But if you want to be a mature son of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God would roll out through your life, it will require you to embrace the values of the kingdom. And so I want to talk about a single value that if you get this value, you will get 30 or 40 other values of the kingdom. And I promise you, you will begin to see the kingdom of God manifest in your life. But before I get there, I have to introduce a problem, a tension. That the kingdom of God, just like in Jesus' time, was not the only culture represented. We have other cultures that are vying for our attention. When Jesus got on the scene, there were two primary cultures. There was the Roman culture and there was the Jewish culture. This one was about spiritual manipulation. This one was about oppression and occupation. And they both were married together in this really abusive relationship with one another. And Jesus comes in and he goes, oh, I don't like the fruit of those kingdoms. I'm establishing mine. And that's why they killed him. Think about this. Think about the last year that we had. If Jesus was walking the world today in 2020, would we crucify him? 2020, we needed a miracle man. I needed the guy who was healing the sick, raising the dead, feeding our poor across the board. Why would you kill that guy? That's a golden goose. Why would you crucify Jesus? You don't kill him because he's a miracle man. You kill him because he goes, oh, I'm establishing a new throne, and I'm not sharing. And that's why they killed him. They were, he was threatening their control. He was threatening their abuse. He was threatening their occupation. And here's the thing. This kind of culture is still in existence today. It just has a different name. That there is a world culture and there is a kingdom culture. Both are evangelizing to you right now to say, buy into my value system. And remember, whatever value system you choose, that's the culture you live in, and you have to eat of that fruit. Now, here's the challenge. You cannot live in two cultures. Jesus does not share the throne. You have to choose a culture. And here's what's really difficult and really hard. If I can, if I can make this a little less sterile, I am very aware of my surroundings. But it, so I have to preface a lot of what I'm about to say. If I can just, we're not talking about just a world culture. We're talking about our world culture. 
which is the American culture. All the air just got sucked out of the room. <laughs> Am I allowed to ask who's carrying? I just do not want to get shot right now. Like I just, I, my dad served in v, or my uh, grandfather served in Vietnam. I just had two friends come back from deployment. I love our country. This is the best country in the world, in my very biased opinion. I love America. At the same time, I was born in this world and in this nation, but I am not of this nation. So I am all for serving and laying your life. I've got friends who are there. I've got, I've got relatives who have served. I honor them. I texted a friend today that I'm praying for. He's helping get guys out of Afghanistan right now. I am all for this country. So hear me when I say that. At the same time, America is a culture and there is a kingdom culture. And we have to choose which one that we are citizens of. Jesus makes no apologies for this. I, don't, I think I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. I think, maybe, who knows. Just tell me, just tell me when it's like, hey, get out of here. No. Uh, so here's what I want to say. Here's what's so challenging is that America in many ways is like Rome because it was, the, it was the powerhouse of the then known world. It was owning the world. It was the strongest. It had the strongest military. It meant that its citizens were incredibly comfortable, just like in the U.S., we are incredibly comfortable. So, so in other words, we have to eat the fruit of these cultures that we're choosing to live in. We eat the fruit of America. There's some sweet fruit that goes along with it. My point is not that it's all bad fruit. My point is that what is sweet to us of comfort and the peace that we have, not bad at all. I'm just saying it's incomplete. It's too small of a thing to give your life to. So what might be sweet in the moment might become sour in the soul. And so, so for me, I, I, like if I could just maybe, maybe clarify this even more, there are some beautiful values that our country has that I absolutely call you to embrace because they're kingdom-aligned, kingdom values. There are also some values, like in every other country, that are so against the kingdom of God, they're not just bad, they're wicked. Every country has them. And there are some values in our country that I go, hey, they are good, I just think that they're too small of a thing to subscribe your life to. So, so example here, we're, we're American, so... so just finish the sentence for me. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Good values. Now here, life, I can get all behind that. You want to know why? Because life, that all men are created equal, that's not an American value. They adopted that from the kingdom of God, that Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly, that, that all men are created. It's the imago day. You were created in the image of God. I can get behind life. That's a kingdom value. Liberty, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I can get behind that. that. That Christ came to give us freedom. It was for freedom's sake that he set us free. I can get behind that. Pursuit of happiness. Pursuit of happiness is not bad. Your happiness is not bad. Here's what I would challenge us with. It's what I'm challenged by. Is that I don't think that we want happy lives. I think we want lives that are full of meaning and purpose. And if they can be happy in the meaning and purpose, I'm all for all of that. But I think at the end of our lives, we will be on our deathbeds, Lord willing, with grandkids and great-grandkids, and they're singing our praises, not because of our glory, but because they go, your life mattered to me, granddad or grandma. What you meant to me, what you poured into my life, what you invested into my life, it impacted me. So while you are going to die, I just want you to know there is something that you had deposited in my life that matters and had meaning. We want far more of that than... I got to go to Bora Bora a couple of times. It was awesome. What does it profit a man if he gains an entire world of pleasure, but in the process he never satisfies or finds his soul? See, here's the thing. I'm not against you pursuing your happiness or living your truth. My only concern with that is if you want purpose and meaning in your life, you will not find it by pursuing your personal happiness. You find meaning and purpose by the one who gives you meaning and purpose. You find meaning and purpose by pursuing God, not having to seek first the kingdom of God, and the other things will come unto you. And so if you want, so we have to prioritize our life and go, hey, that's a kingdom value. I embrace it wholeheartedly. That's a good value. It's just too small of a thing for me to subscribe my life to. And that is outright wrong, and I'm not going to subscribe my life to it because I am a part of the kingdom of God. And we have to continually do this because cultures are evangelizing. Buy into our values. Buy into our values. Buy into our values. Every one of them. And whatever values you choose to embrace, that is the culture that you are choosing to live in, and you have to eat of that fruit. Mark chapter 10, and this connects into the, the culture and the pursuit of happiness. Mark chapter 10, Jesus is with his disciples, and a young man comes to him. And he goes, Jesus, I hear you talking about the kingdom. I hear you talking about this eternal life, and I like what you're talking about. I want this eternal life. What do I need to do? And Jesus starts talking about kingdom values. He goes, well, don't, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. He starts telling me, and, and the young man stops him and goes, Jesus, I've been doing this since the time I was young. 
I'm all, I'm all for it. And this is what's crazy. Jesus likes the kid. He's like, don't interrupt me. No, he didn't do that. He's like, I like this kid. He goes, he goes right here. He goes, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you just lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Come be one of my disciples. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And he comes to the followers that have followed him, and he comes to him, and he goes, he goes guys, listen. It's incredibly difficult for those with wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, here's the truth. Jesus is not against your money or your wealth at all. Jesus is after one thing, and that's his supremacy on the throne of your heart. Jesus gave every single person that was following him the exact same invitation. He didn't make an exception for him. He simply looked at this young man's heart, and he goes, oh, your wealth and your finances are sitting on the throne of your heart, and I don't share my throne. Go leave that. And he couldn't do it. Why? Because that was a comfortable life. He was living in a culture that was incredibly comfortable and sweet to the taste. And I guarantee you this, that young man lived an incredibly comfortable life. You know what's sad about it, though? Because I have no idea his name. I'll tell you the names of the men that I do know. Peter, James, John, Matthew, Simon the Zealot, all of which had the exact same invitation. They just had different masters on the throne when, they, when Jesus met them. He goes, Peter, James, John, I'm going to make you fishers of men. What do they do? They leave their nets. They leave their career. They go, this can't have supremacy in my heart if I'm going to be a Jesus follower. He goes to Simon the Zealot. People go, why is he a zealot? Some people believe he was a, he was a, a little terrorist for, like, against Rome. He was killing people. He's a revolutionary. Jesus goes, hey, violence? That can't be the master of your heart. You're going to have to leave that behind. And he did. For Matthew, he goes, hey, Matthew, tax collectors, you want to know why tax collectors were bad? It wasn't because they were stealing money, which they were. Tax collectors were traitor to their own people. They, how, how, like Rome is occupying the, the Jewish culture at the time. How, how do they have an army? How do you keep an army well-fed, well, well taken care of, and continually occupying a city? You get taxes and you pay for it. And these were Jewish men and women going, I absolutely will help fund this because it makes me money, and I don't care if they're murdering, enslaving our own society, I'll do it because it keeps me safe. My retirement's secure. And Matthew, and Jesus goes, Matthew, you're going to follow me. You have to leave all that behind because your comfort and your security cannot have lordship over your heart. So here's the thing. The call to salvation to Jesus, everybody hears that. He's making that invitation to you, follow me. What's he asking for you to dethrone in your heart? everybody's asked the same question. If you think following Jesus doesn't require you to surrender the throne of your heart, I'm telling you right now, it will require it. Salvation is 100% free, but come and crucify yourself. If you want to gain life, you will have to come and die. That is what the scriptures say. And Jesus is going, I am here to be Lord and Savior of your life because I promise you, I'm the only one that can be trusted with your heart. Every other master on your heart will abuse you and use you and spit you out. I will not do that. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is what this king promises, and he can fulfill it. No other king can make such a promise and fulfill it without lying. So I want to introduce this keystone. Are we still with me? This is, things, are getting, things are getting heavy. We're okay. Here we go. Keystone value of the kingdom. If you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, I can tell you this. This is what, as I look at the kingdom, as I look at the relationship between Father, Son, Holy Spirit, everything about the kingdom of God, everything that Jesus calls his disciples to fit around this single value. And if you can get this one value, I promise you, you'll be embracing a ton of kingdom values with you. And that value is selflessness. Selflessness. If you think about it, Jesus is constantly going, you have to think beyond yourself. If you want to be a part of my kingdom, it is about a kingdom of surrender, of sacrifice, of service, of generosity, of honor, of love, of self-control, of giving patience to one another, constantly going, it's not about my life, it's about taking care of my fellow man and loving my king well. It is continually going, think outside of yourself, think outside of what is best for you, and to serve other people and to serve God. Selflessness. And Jesus is continually talking to his disciples about the kingdom of God and about this value, constantly working with them and saying, you've got to be selfless if you're going to be a part of my kingdom. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is with his disciples. And yeah, sometimes, man, you read the Bible and just stuff gets funny and you just have to laugh at it. 
uh, Jesus had one of the exact same promise or problems that all of our uh, coaches and teachers had back then, and it's southern moms. You're not seeing all the southern moms just like was like, don't talk about me. <laughs> Peter's with his disciples. These are 20-something-year-old men, and somehow moms keep showing up on the field. So it's like, so, so, so James and John are, are there with the disciples, and James and John's mom's on the scene. And she's like, um, Jesus, hey, Barbara, uh, James and John's mom, uh, listen, um, I see you've got a couple different classes here, um, and you got Mr. Lazarus teaching one of the classes with some of the kids that need some extra help, but uh, my sons James and John, uh, you see, they're gifted and talented, and uh, I need them in the gifted and talented class. Um, I know you might have just missed, mixed up the schedule or whatever, but they're talented and gifted, and um, I, they just don't test well. That's the problem. That's what you do. And he's like, <laughs> I, I call them sons of thunder for a reason, lady. He's like, no, no. She's like, sons of thunder, they just got ADD. It's not them. It's not, they're, they're trust me, they're talented and gifted. I promise you. I'm, back to reality. Stop. But the, James and John's mom comes to Jesus. She goes, hey, hey, Jesus, when you sit on your throne, when you establish your kingdom, would you mind having my two boys sit next to you for, left and right? Can they be your right? Because they're talented and gifted. <laughs> and I, I'm sure you've already seen this, Jesus, but like, Jesus is just like, this is like the third mom today trying to take care of their boys. She's got like the, the Capri Sun fanny pack with orange slices and suntan lotion, just rubbing everybody down. <laughs> boys, I want you to stay away from Judas, the peanut butter sticky-fingered kid. I don't trust him. I don't think he's good. He's a bad character. Uh, no, so, so, Jesus, so Jesus goes, he goes, those are two chairs that it's not mine to give. That's the he goes, he goes, I don't think you know what you're asking for. And it says that the other disciples, they were seething mad at the two boys. And they weren't mad because it's like, man, Jesus is teaching us about selflessness, and you guys got egos, and you're so selfish and all that. They're going, why didn't we think of that? There were two empty seats, and we didn't ask, Mom, <laughs> nachos, and get the seat next to Jesus. No, <laughs> out of the basement, they're playing Xbox. We didn't think of it, no. So, so literally, they're mad because they're going, we should be front and center, not James and John. We are more special than them. And Jesus goes, coachable moment, coachable moment. Guys, come on in, come on in. And he says something that is so relevant for us today, and, it's so, and just guard your heart, check your heart. Here's where we are, Matthew chapter 20. He says, and when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Jesus is observing. I see Roman politicians and Roman rulers, and I see Jewish politicians and Jewish teachers. And you go, you observe these kind of leaders, and they rule over people. They put their thumb down on people. They put their heel on people's necks. They push them down. It's about their harshness, and they do all the wrong things. They're cruel to people, and they continually are put in places of power because they determine that is leadership. And I think for some of us, if I look back at 2020 and over the last year, absolutely powder keg. Of, of things happening, but when it came to this, the, the political superchargedness of things, even within the church context, but all throughout society, we, we believe in the fallacy or the illogical fallacy of um, either or. Essentially going like, you're either for the candidate completely and totally for every single value that he or she expresses, or you're against them, but you can't just go, I, I can support him on this, but I can't support him on that. And Jesus, and so, so what ends up happening is we go, I know that they're a little harsh with people. I know that they're a little hard with people. I know he says some things. I know she's a little manipulative. I know he riles people up. I know he's a little brash. I know that she is really, you know, difficult with people, and she says some really cruel things. But we go, but they get the results that we want. And so Jesus goes, some lord it like this. Not so with you. He goes, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, that's not leadership. That is not what we admire. I'm not against people voting. I'm, I'm saying, church, we should engage in voting and all those kind of things. But when we vote in a candidate and they're doing things that are good because they're values that align with the kingdom, we can celebrate it and say, that's awesome. When they do something that is completely idiotic or stupid, and I mean that not by my definition, but what the kingdom of God would say, we, that is not honorable. We reject that. It doesn't mean we stop following or supporting anybody. We go, that is not the kingdom of God. I can get behind this, but that is not. And Jesus did exactly what I'm doing now. He goes, he just observes the political situation, the rules. He goes, some people rule over people with this kind of harshness and this difficulty, but that is not what we do. We cannot admire or make excuses for people or leaders that the kingdom of God outright rebukes. 
I'm not saying you can't support people. I support people. I also am, I am, an, I am first and foremost a kingdom citizen, second a comedian, third an American. In that order. I am an equal offender. I will offend all of the parties and all of the people because it's funny. No. Because sometimes it's just wrong. And I'm going, if you want an example of what a king and a leader should be, you look to Jesus, who is the perfect example of leadership and a king. And I can get behind all of his values. But I cannot, nobody is perfect. So even for me as a leader, when you see me embracing values that are not the kingdom, you go, Tyler, I'm with you until this point. I can't go there. And then I have to adjust and adopt in my own life. And that's what the kingdom of God is calling us to. Some do it this way. But if you're a part of my kingdom, not so with Jesus is trying to teach them, this is what greatness looks like in the kingdom. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you come and you serve. You pour out your life. You want to be great, then become very low. Leadership in the kingdom of God is not being in charge. It is taking care of the people that are in your charge. This is what leadership is, not this. We don't rule with an iron fist. We rule with gentle hands. It's not a call to throw away leadership. It's a call to do leadership by the kingdom standards and values. Jesus is with his disciples. And they go to a dinner. This is Matthew chapter 28, or excuse me, 26. Jesus is with his disciples. They're at this party. And all all four of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all have different perspectives on this one incident. So piecing all of these together, we know this woman walks in. We know from one account it's Mary of Magdalene. Uh, We know from one account they're criticizing Jesus because he's going, if Jesus knew the kind of woman that was touching him or connecting with him, he would throw her out of the party because she was a prostitute. And then some accounts start ridiculing the woman and go, because she brings in this big bottle of perfume. And she walks in and she begins to pour it out on the feet of Jesus. And they start ridiculing her. Man, she should be selling that perfume, not wasting it, just pouring it all out. She should sell it and give the finances to the poor. You know who said that? Judas. Sticky finger, peanut butter kid. Loser. Sorry, no. I'm, yeah. So they're ridiculing Jesus for who he's connecting with. This woman comes in and she, and with tears, she realizes, I know who Jesus is. He came to be our sacrifice. He came to be our king, and his time is coming to be our sacrifice. So she, as Jesus is talking about the kingdom, she goes, I see it. I get it. I know who you are. So in complete, she just comes out, and she pours out the best and the most valuable thing that she has in her life, and she begins to pour out the perfume and cry over Jesus' feet and begin to wipe uh, the perfume and the tears off with her hair. And Jesus... Uh, now knowing what the people are thinking, he rebukes the people that are in there, and he goes... You're ridiculing me and you're ridiculing this woman. But let me tell you about this woman. He says this. In pouring out this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial, knowing that the sacrifice is coming. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Why did Jesus say that? Because this woman captured the gospel in two major themes. One, that heaven emptied itself out of its most precious possession. Jesus bottled the sweet perfume of who he was and he put it in a human form and he poured out his life on the dirtiest of our humanity like his feet. This is what Jesus came to do, that he t- heaven emptied itself of its very best and poured it out for our sake. That's the picture and perfect uh, portrayal of the gospel. He goes, this picture will be continually said again and again because she got it. The second theme, though, is this, is Jesus going, if you want to be a part of my kingdom like this woman, the call to be a part of the kingdom is selflessness. Come and pour out your life for the sake of the king and for the gospel. If you want to be a messenger of the gospel like this woman is, if you want to have the message of the kingdom of God in your mouth, you will have to pour out the very best of your life. This is what Jesus is asking of every single one of us. Come and follow me and surrender anything that's not about the kingdom. He does not share his throne. John chapter 13, Jesus is with his disciples, and the time is coming for him to be crucified. It's his last night with his men. If I could paint the picture, maybe take some artistic liberties, but Jesus is getting the house ready, and as you get ready for company, all the guys are running around, getting the table set, getting everything set up. Jesus steals away to a quiet part of the house, maybe looking out the window just to kind of get away from the, the noise behind him. And in that time, he's connecting with his heavenly father, and his heavenly father helps him realize, hey, the time is coming. It says all authority, Jesus had the realization then, all authority on heaven and on earth, everything was put under his feet, that he was the master of the universe, and Jesus was very aware of his master and rulership. And it says the very next thing that he did, 
We have politicians in our country who make promises to us about the next 100 days when they take, take their seat in power. Here's what I promise I'm going to do. And it's so funny how I just forget all the promises because it doesn't seem to play itself out right in 100 days. Some hit the target, some do not at all. And Jesus, from the very moment he hits the seat in recognition of I am the master, there is nobody greater in the universe than me. What does Jesus do? He takes out his outer garment, goes back to the noisiness of the house, ties a towel around his waist, and he says, guys, come to me. I'm going to wash your feet. The example of the king in the kingdom. The best leaders don't just tell you what to do. They show you what to do. And they protest, and they say, Jesus, you are the greatest among us. Have one of the weaker ones. Have Judas the peanut butter kid. Have James and John, somebody. They should be washing feet, but not you, Jesus. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. This has to happen. I'll tell you later why this has to happen. This is what he tells them. He tells them in John 13, verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. In other words, he goes, I know I'm the master of the universe. I know that you should be listening to me. I know I'm the teacher, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to, to you. If we skip down to the next part of the verse, in verse 34 to 35, and a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You want to be a part of my kingdom, let me set the tone and the example, selflessness. If you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, there is no one that is greater than Jesus, and this is his posture. Everybody else needs to get in line to wash feet because that is what we do here in the kingdom of God. We serve one another full out, all out. So uh, as I was preparing this message, and, and I, I shared this a couple weeks back at, at Northlands, a church that I'm a part of, uh, I came to the realization, I go, Jesus preached the kingdom of God for three years straight, and he showed people the fruit of the kingdom, and he preached the message. And Jesus, best communicator in the world, no doubt in my mind. And not even Jesus could capture everybody's hearts to come and be a part of the kingdom. For some people, he said, this is what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God, and they dropped their nets, and they came and they followed him. And for some people, they looked at it, and they had every intention of being a part of the kingdom of God. They just never embraced selflessness or any values of the kingdom. They just kept living life. And some people just outright rejected it. So here is what I know. In this room, I am preaching a message of the kingdom, and I know not everybody's going to embrace this value. And I'm okay with that because Jesus couldn't do it, so I'm, I'm okay. I'll be okay. But if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, if something is stirring in your heart about the kingdom of God and saying, I want my life to matter and have meaning and have purpose. I want to see the fruit of the kingdom come in my life. God, I want to be used like this woman who poured out her life for your sake because she saw you accurately and she saw the mission that you were a part of. If that is you, then there's a call to embrace selflessness. I just want to talk about three easy ways to embrace this value. Number one, a call to mature your mind. The, the gateway into the kingdom, it is a threshold of repentance. It requires a maturing of the mind. I was, uh, have you noticed this, that parents and kids think differently? Have you ever thought about that? Is that ever, Dave, has that ever come up in any conversation? No. There's always a disconnect. Never, never. This won't apply to you, but for me, I've noticed. I have a four-year-old little girl. Uh, she thinks differently than I do. Part of it is, I, I think, because she's uh, got a little wicked soul that hasn't given it life to Jesus yet. Like, it's just like, I'm working on it, but I just get like, like, it's just like you were born into iniquity. And I'm like, she's still there, but I'm meeting her on the journey. Like, you know, eventually she'll stop smoking and drinking. No, she's four. She's not, no. But she's on a journey. We're all on a journey. Can I say that? I said, I'm so sorry. I apologize. If you want to email me for any complaints, it's Dave at DCF. That's how you can reach me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, kids, babies, are some of the most selfish individuals that I've ever met in my life. And it's not their fault. It's just because they cannot survive without a clear demand of what they need from their parents. And parents get, if, if they're going to have kids and they're going to be considered good parents, they naturally get the values of the kingdom. It is all about sacrifice, unconditional love. It is about surrender. It is about, it is about submitting your preferences to theirs. It's, it's trying to help them grow. But what are we trying to do in the process of parenting? We're trying to mature our kids to come to a place of selflessness because nobody likes that child to be one day 42 years old. It's okay when she's four. It's not okay when she's 42. Uh, I was, this was years ago. I was at a youth group. I was maybe a sophomore in high school, and my friend's mom was preaching um, at youth group. So you know she was just yelling at, like, all the boys for, like, 15 minutes straight. And then, no, 
Uh, she, she preached a great message. I don't remember the full message. I just remember a story that she told about Brandon, my, my best friend. She said, um, I knew that Brandon was no longer a boy and was becoming a man um, when one day as, I, as they were growing up, and Brandon was really, really little, four years old, three years old, five years old, she goes, I just knew that um, when we would go out somewhere, like there would be the road or the highway that they'd be walking down, and there would be a sidewalk. And she goes, I naturally just put my kids to the inside of the sidewalk, like most moms would do, put them to the inside of the sidewalk. And she goes, you know, I know like if, if, if they run out into traffic, I feel like I could at least move my arm quickly, do that crowbar arm move where it's like all the moms just like boom, and like the kids get whiplash, but they're safe, you know. So she's like, I could just put my arm out. She goes, and I know it's crazy, but I also thought to myself, like, if a car comes and jumps the curb, I feel like I have enough time to push them out of the way and take the car. You know what I mean? She goes, I know that we probably all would have been, like, smoked, but, like, I just felt like I had more of a chance to, like, push them aside. She said, I, I noticed that Brandon was growing up and becoming different. When one day we were going to a restaurant. He was about 14, 15 years old. And as they were walking down the sidewalk, he just grabs his mom's arm, uh, Angela, grabs her by the forearm and just gently brings her to the inside of the sidewalk with him and his sister and, and starts walking on the outside of the sidewalk. Without saying anything, he goes, I'm taking the car. And, it, and she goes, that's when I started talking to him like a man. Anybody can become a child of God. Salvation is full with grace, and it's all about faith. Put your faith in Jesus. He will rescue and save your soul. But he also wants to mature us into sons and daughters, that he can see his kingdom of God manifest in the world. The kingdom of God is not some meteor that just hits the room, and then healing starts breaking out. That's not what revival is. The kingdom of God is not something that's coming to us and explodes into the room, because the culture, the environment is created through people, all embracing the same values. It doesn't come to us. It works its way out through us. And Jesus works with mature sons and daughters. If you want to embrace selflessness, it's going to require us to bring people to the inside of the sidewalk, and we're going to walk to the outside. This is what the kingdom of God is like. So number one, if you want to embrace selflessness, mature your mind. Number two, I'm going to encourage you to start now. If you want to see the kingdom of God, start selflessness now. I think there's a wrong way to think about things that I just want us to be mindful of. Uh, rather than saying, rather than saying, I will be generous when... Or I will serve at DCF when. Or I will join a community group when. Or I will make a meal for my neighbor when. Or I will join the 24-hour worship when. And then we describe kind of like when our ship comes in. When I win the lotto ball, then I'll give my offering finally. Like just like, <laughs> it's not going to happen. No. Anyway, mathematically speaking, no. instead of saying I will do when, Let's instead think differently, mature our mind and go, I can be generous today this way. I can be generous today by making a meal for my neighbor. I wish I could feed my neighborhood. I can't feed my whole neighborhood. I can't do that. But I still can be a person of generosity, which is the value of the kingdom. I can be generous now by. I can serve. I don't have endless amounts of time, but what time I do, I can serve now by. I can join and feed this community group to connect with them. I can give my life to this kingdom now by. But don't wait and say, I'll do this when. Jesus, can I, I'll come and follow you, but can I first bury my father? No. Jesus, that is not grace-filled at all. Jesus, I'd love to follow you. I just got some things, that I, I got some errands I got to run first. Can I just do those and come back to you? And he's like, no, we'll be gone by now. We'll be, we're working down the road. There's an opportunity for you to join the kingdom of God and to start right now. And I really think if you think about it, I, and I, look, I, and again, Jesus preached this message, and for some they embrace it, for some they outright rejected it. But for some of you, I believe you're going to give your first offering to DCF, and that's really awesome. I believe some of you are going to join a, a service team here uh, at DCF, and that's really awesome. You're going to go, man, I'm getting involved in a community group because they need me just as much as I need them. That's awesome. For some of you, I mean, I want to start an initiative in my city. I want to build a missional group in one of the coffee shops here, and you can do that on Wednesdays or whenever you're available. I can start doing that right now. The kingdom of God waits for no one because it has its own agenda, and it's asking you to bend your life to its agenda, not work around it with yours. So mature your mind. Start now and build here. Build here. Uh, as a parent, I'm constantly asking the question of... Um, does, does my daughter Evangeline or Evie, does she see what I value most? As her parent, I recognize that my leadership over her life is a stewardship. It is temporary and I'm held accountable. So I'm not trying to make a clone of myself, which would be pretty cool. Hashtag Star Wars. Uh, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to disciple her into who God's called her to be. 
And so what I'm trying to do is, is not, not uh, go, hey, Evie, we have uh, a soccer schedule and a school schedule, and we have a time that we talk about God in our house, and then we have time that we talk about God at church, and then we have our work and career, and then you kind of go to college and school. What I'm saying is I'm going to the kingdom of God. It is like a yeast, and it works its way out through every area of our life. And I want, I want Evie to see her daddy praying for his job at his work. I want her to see me praying on the soccer field with other dads. I want, to see, I want her to see that this, oh, she, she can choose whatever religion, whatever, like whatever, she, whatever she's going to do, she's going to do. That is up to her and between her and the Lord. But she will not be able to deny what I prioritized of our life. And for parents especially, for your spouses, if, if people just watched your actions and looked at your budgets, do they say, oh, the top priority is the kingdom of God? And if not, we have the opportunity to build that in now. Wherever you are, the kingdom of God, the cult, there's always culture everywhere. Adopt and adjust. Adopt and adjust. Bind and loose the values of the kingdom wherever you are, including in your own household and schedule and your budget. Because your kids will see that, and they're going to follow suit. Because this must be most important. And so when I say build here, build in your home first. Build the kingdom of God. Release values of the kingdom of God in your home first. But as soon as that's done, I'm going to encourage you, be about what Jesus is building. And what did Jesus say he is building? He said, I am building my ecclesia, my church. And the gates of hell will not be able to stop this. No other kingdom on heaven and earth will be able to stop this culture that I am building. You can build anything with your life. You can embrace any values you want. You can be a part about any culture that you want. I would encourage you, though, if you're going to be a Jesus follower, be about what he is building. And he made it very plain that the church is the hope of the world. So I'm going to build with him. And, and Jesus said, I'm building, my, he's the architect. So I'm not building what I think would be a good church or what I think would be a good guy. I'm going, what did Jesus say about the church? And I'm just going to submit my skill sets and strength and go, I'm building what you're building, Jesus. But build, start now and build here. I believe this with all my heart. DCF is an incredibly special ecclesia. It means the body. Many members making up one body that we are doing something incredibly special. If you want to see the kingdom of God come, the kingdom of God comes when the church is equipped and on mission. Because the kingdom of God is not something that comes to us. It is something that works its way out through us. Last scripture, Mark chapter 12. Jesus is preaching in the temple. And he's, and he's talking and he's talking and, he, and scribes and Pharisees are listening in. And one of the scribes, they come to Jesus, one of the, one of the leaders comes to Jesus and they go, Jesus, what's the greatest command? How, how would you sum up the law and the prophets? And Jesus goes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Selflessness. And the scribe, the, the audacity, I mean, it's Jesus. He goes, that's right, Jesus. You're correct. Like, you get to approve Jesus. Good job. Jesus thumbs up. I'm like, the audacity. You know what Jesus does? He goes to the scribe and he whispers in his ear just so that he, the two of them can hear. He goes, because the scribe goes, that's exactly, that's exactly what's the most important thing. And Jesus leans into him and he goes, You're close. You're really close. For some of you, you're not going to embrace these values. But you can still have salvation, and that's great. You're a child of God. For some of us, though, we're going, I'm going to pour out my life for the king and his kingdom. And you're going to embrace selflessness. You're going to embrace loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And for those people who choose to embrace that value system and that way of living, I have just a single message that I came all the way from Georgia to tell you, and that is this. You're not far from the kingdom of God. If we want to see our impact in the city by the kingdom coming, it doesn't come as some sort of miraculous miracle that just hits the city and everybody starts confessing and worshiping Jesus. It will come through our lives. It will come out of our Your kids following Jesus, it will come because they witnessed and saw and you walked with them in it. It will help them mature into Jesus' followers. We have an opportunity to see the kingdom of God come in profound and beautiful ways. COVID cannot stop the kingdom advancing. Rome cannot stop the kingdom of God advancing. Daniel, Daniel was a prophet thousands of years before Jesus is coming, and he goes, I see this great image, and it's an image that represents all the nations, all those who are powerhouses and rulers of the day. He goes, at the head of this thing, it was a type of stone that was like the Persians or the Greeks or, or, or the, the Ammonites, the different people who had, had ruled and led. And he goes, I look at the feet of this image, and there's, a, there's this, this piece of rock that is mud and of iron. It was the Jews and the Romans occupying the world. And he goes, but then, but then I saw a cornerstone that was not led by human hands. It was not cut by human hands. It was not a nation of this world. I saw a cornerstone come from heaven, and it struck that image, and it exploded the great image. 
And that cornerstone continued to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow until it filled the whole earth. The last nation that was recognized as a kingdom before Jesus was Rome in, in, in Rome and the Jewish culture. No other kingdom has supremacy except Jesus's. I am going to encourage you that you will have to eat the fruit of whatever culture you choose to live in. And the way you make that decision is you embrace kingdom values. And I promise you the fruit of your life will be sweet. And at the end of your life, it will be filled with purpose and meaning. And it will not be wasted. No matter what the world says, like the woman, pour out your life. And it is not a waste. Because what we are pouring into is eternal. Whatever is going to happen in thousands and millions of years into eternity, whatever matters out there, that's what we give our life to. If it's not going to matter out there, then I would say it needs to go far low on the totem pole of our lives today. Give your life to eternal work. Thanks, guys, so much. Yeah. Before I close, I just want to share a quick story. Um, I was 22 years old. Karen and I were living in England. We joined the Air Force. I grew up poor like some of you guys had. And uh, one way I could get an education was going to the military, and so I did. They sent me to England, which I thought England was going to be just like America because we all speak the same language. We don't speak the same language at all. I figured that out quick. So culture shock right there, right? And I remember we ended up getting connected to a church. My boss was different. He was way different. His name was Tom, and Tom was different. And there was something about him that drew me to him and made me dislike him at the same time. Because he, he showed me, he, he was a light in the darkness because of Jesus. And I, and I could see what I could be, and I saw what I actually was, and I didn't like it. I just didn't like it. And I, I remember giving my life to Jesus, uh, Karen and I, in October, just a year after we got saved, in Berchtesgaden, Germany, in the German Alps, in a hotel that was at one point um, the SS barracks for Hitler, um, his personal guard. And we gave our life to Jesus together on the same night. And I remember my prayer was simple. I said, uh, God, I've tried everything else. I may as well give you a shot. It's like super awesome theological prayer that I prayed, right? I hadn't, but I was sincere in a minute. And Jesus came into my life that night, and he changed me instantly. I remember walking out on the platform, looking out over the German Alps. It's one of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen in my entire life. And I saw the mountain peaks with the snow cap, and I saw the, the trees with their arms lifted high towards heaven. And for the first time, I saw creation worshiping the God who had made it. I was 20, 20 years old, I think, at the time when I did that. 20 years old, I, I remember thinking, how did I miss this, right? And things begin to change, and it, just a year or two later, about 21, 22 years old, I felt a call into the ministry. I went and prayed. It was a lady who came in. She was uh, Scottish. They called her the dragon lady. She was, she was intense, man. She was amazing. She just preached the gospel just like what he did. Kingdom culture. This is who Jesus is. This is the challenge that he brings. This is what he's asking of you. Will you lay your life down for the sake of Christ? Because he laid his life down for you. And I was just, ah. And I remember going and praying. And I'm, I prayed and I said, God, I, I have this heart that wants to go and serve you. But I don't know what all that means. But I have this this call, and I'm not sure if I have what it takes. I'm not sure if I can give what you're asking. And I prayed this long prayer, and just, I prayed so long I fell asleep. And I went to the services the, the next night, and this lady brought me up, and she prophesied over me. She said, I saw a vision of you praying, and this is what you prayed. And she said, word for word, what I had prayed in the secret place. She, she heard God say what God had seen me say, and she said that back to me. And she said, son, God heard everything you said. And he wants you. He's calling you. That's what, that's what this is about. You just have to make a decision what you're going to do with that. And it impacted my heart. And then a couple Sundays later, my pastor, who was simple, he was as simple as he could be, but he preached the gospel, and he challenged us in the kingdom. And he was preaching one night, and I had joined the military to become an architect. I was going to, I'd started school, I'd started college and got courses and already taken drafting classes, the whole nine yards, because when I was growing up, architects would come out, landscape architects would come out on the job because my dad was a landscaper and I, I was poor and I was manual labor from the time I was 14, 15, 16 years old, working the summers. And that's what I did. And I watched him come out and he'd have on the, you know, on the flannel shirt and he'd have on the nice boots with no dirt on them. And he'd be driving an SUV and nobody had SUVs. And that was really cool. And I'm like, I want to, I want that. Because he wasn't even dirty. And he was making so much more money than I was. I'm like, I want that. So I, I, I embraced that value and I went for it. And 
One Sunday morning, I'll never forget, my pastor, he was calling us out this way, and he said, some of you guys need to make a decision about what you're going to do with the rest of your life. He said, some of you guys are called to be an architect. <laughs> he pointed right at me. He's like, he was so bad about that. He's terrible. He said, some of you guys are called to be an architect. He goes, you're going to have to decide. You're going to lay that down, serve Jesus, or you're going to be an architect. And I said, oh, that's hard, right? That's so hard. Can I, can I talk to you next Sunday? Uh-uh. I felt it. And I remember that day I bowed my head. And I said, Lord, I don't know what it means, but I'm done. And I give everything I have to you. I'm all in. I was 22 years old. I'm 54 now. I'm serving the Lord. been given my heart. I've had heartache. I've seen the glory of God. We've cast out demons. We've traveled all over the place. And at some point in my life, I was at a conference, and I had an epiphany. I was reading it. This guy preached into a passage, and I was reading this passage, studying it, and it said, it was talking about Paul being a master builder. And I read that word, and and, and I'm like, what did that mean? So I looked it up, and I was studying into it. You know what it meant? It was an architect. And the second that realization hit my head, I heard the Lord say, you were always going to be an architect. That's how I made you. You're just building something different than what you thought you were going to build. And so I just want to ask you, because this is, this is a sober and solemn moment right now, and we don't often get these. I feel it in my spirit. Some of you guys are on that precipice. And just like I was in that day, maybe you've given your life to Jesus already. Maybe you haven't even done that yet. I don't know. I would love for you to do that. But I want to ask you, Whatever you have been thinking about your life and what it ought to be, Jesus said, if you will lay it all down, if you will give away your life, I will give you back your life. A hundred times more, a hundred different ways better. But it won't come, like Tyler talked about this morning, it won't come without full-on, 100% submission. In the throne rooms of your life, the big mansion we all have thrones, right? Some of those are big ones. And Jesus is like, Ty said, I will not share my throne with another. So I want to ask you this morning, what is sitting on the throne of your heart right now? What is it? Is it your career? Is it happiness? Is it politics? Is if we could just get America straightened out, what is sitting on the throne of your heart? Is it money? If I just had enough money, because that's what I said, if I just had enough money, I would be happy. Whatever that is, I'm going to pray here in just a second and ask you to bow your heads. And I, want you, I don't need you to come forward. I don't need you to do any of that. It's not about that. It's just about you being alone with the question Jesus is asking you right now. Will you lay it all down and come follow me? Will you do it? So will you bow your heads with me? Jesus, Lord, I just I feel your presence so strong. And I feel that call, Lord. I I feel it because I I recognize this, Lord, that's come to me. And I recognize it. And I know it's here today. And, Lord, you're wanting to take some of these guys, all of us, really, and you're wanting to shake up this world with our lives. You're wanting for us to lay down our lives for a purpose that's so amazing and so great we can't even begin to imagine. And we feel it in our spirit and our heart longs to say yes, but there are hindrances and there are things in the way. And, Lord, I just want to give a moment for you to ask us this question individually. Just a moment, Lord. And I just sense that's what the Lord's doing. What are you going to do with me? You think I'm a great teacher. You think I'm a prophet. You think I was a good man. I like the idea of Jesus, and Jesus is like, that's not enough. I'm asking you right now, can I have the throne of your heart? Will you let me sit on the throne of your heart? Do you believe in me enough? Do you believe that I'm good enough? Do you believe that my purposes are great enough? That the price you pay will be worth it? So Jesus, we just say thank you. Lord, your word says because you loved us first, we can love you. And so Lord, you modeled this. We see it. It doesn't take much to see it. We can read. We've heard the gospel. We know. You laid your life down. You came from heaven and you put heaven away. 
Lord, to come and serve as a man and then lay down your life, Lord, and you gave away all of your greatness, your, everything that you were, Lord. You, you submitted it all to a sacrifice on a tree on a Roman day that everybody thought was just another day, but it wasn't. And, Lord, you paid the price to take away my sin, and then now you're calling me to be a son, a mature son in your kingdom, and as Tyler said, to manifest your kingdom out of me. So, Lord, I say yes. I say yes again. And I pray that every person here, Lord, I pray every person here would say yes. And I thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for this solemn moment. Thank you for Tyler's message. Thank you for Tyler. Lord, a heart poured out, laid bare, sacrificed for kingdom's sake. Lord, we love that. And we want to hang out with people like that. And so, Lord, we just say thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray this digs deep in us and changes us forever. In your name, I pray. Amen. Love you guys. If you want prayer, if you want to pray prayer of salvation, we would love to pray that prayer with you. Our ministry team is going to be up here. Um, If you have needs, Jesus is the one who comes and meets our needs. We would love to pray with you. Come meet us up here in the front. If you're online, uh, connect with us online. Um, and we would love to have someone pray with you as well. Thank you guys so much. Uh, Come say hi to Tyler before he heads back to Atlanta. Um, Have a great week. We love you guys.